0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, welcome,
1: Disability Law Show. So good to have you on the show today as we roll into it. Uh, Joining us, uh, John Scholes here along with Martin Willems and Darren Saul, both these uh, gentlemen working out of the B.C. office uh, covering B.C. and Alberta and uh, across the country answering of course anytime as well you want to reach out to martin or darren get a hold of their respective teams no problem easiest way the phone call one 821 5900 email address is help at disability just that simple we will get into the three common misconceptions about ltd well we're going to get to three there's probably 103 but we're covering three today and a bunch of emails and questions as well but first we always start off with the uh, with the case of the day see what's been happening on on your desk martin what do you got for us today pal
2: Yes, thanks, John. Uh, This is an interesting one. Uh, I'll read the question and then we can get into it. Uh, It says, I have an individual policy which was sold to me five years ago. I work as a chiropractor. In 2020, I fell off my bicycle and fractured my ankle. The insurance company paid me benefits for three months and then denied my claim. When I tried to return to work, I noticed that my back was in so much pain. I was unable to carry on working. And I haven't been working since it took a long time to have the insurance company look at my claim again. Only last week did they finally make a decision and they denied my claim. The adjuster told me that my back injury was not covered as I have what is called an injury only policy. I was not aware of this. I vaguely remember being turned down for sickness coverage because of mental health issues that I had in the past. Regardless, I believe I injured my back when I fell. The adjuster said the medical imaging showed I have degenerative changes in my lumbar spine, in other words, in my back. And therefore, my back pain is related to a sickness which is not covered. Is it worth fighting this? This is an interesting question. You know, there are various policies that you could purchase. And I always say when we speak about disability claims, look at the wording of the policy because the policy is a contract. So in this case, it's an individual policy. And what that tells you is this person who works as a chiropractor, so it's a professional who's not employed by a company, is self-employed, went out and purchased an individual policy with an insurance company. And in some instances, you may find that you can buy different coverages. And in this case, unfortunately, this chiropractor purchased at what is called an injury-only policy, which means that... Obviously, pertaining to the meaning of the policy and the language in the policy, disabilities caused by injuries are covered, and disabilities caused by sicknesses are not covered. Just as an aside, I would always recommend to anybody who wants to purchase insurance disability coverage, make sure that you get sickness coverage as well, because you won't run into this problem at least. Maybe other problems, but at least not this one. So I have through the years that I've been handling disability claims, come across this problem (laughs) routinely. And it always goes to a person having some form of a neck problem or a back problem where the insurance company says, look, if you have degenerative changes in your back, which often is degenerative disc disease, DDD Mm -hmm. for short, then even though you may have back pain and even though you you may have had an injury, your disability is indirectly or even directly related to the degenerative changes in your back, which in itself is a disease or a sickness, and therefore we are not covering you. Therefore, we are not going to pay. So the first thing to do is we want to look at the language of that policy. Is this indeed a sickness excluding coverage? In other words, that they only cover illnesses or injuries? And secondly, we want to look at the medical evidence. Because I can tell you, As I've said, routinely, I've come across these cases, almost everybody has degenerative changes in their back as they get older. That that just happens. Mm -hmm. But were they disabled because of those changes prior prior to this? I've had a number of cases where the person had degenerative changes in their back, then had a back injury and were so profoundly disabled that they couldn't work in some cases couldn't even walk. Yet the insurer would say, because of those changes that you had over the years, It really is because of that indirectly. So what we often do is we approach the doctors, the treating physicians, to get an opinion as to what exactly is the disabling condition. And but for the injury, would this person have become disabled? Um, So there are specific questions that we can ask the doctor that the doctor can respond to, because this is almost a knee-jerk response at the insurance company's end. We see generative changes, we're simply going to deny your claim. And that simply is not something that should just be accepted. We can work on this, we can look at the policy, and we can look at the medical evidence, because your question on do you fight this or should you just accept it, don't accept it. Speak to us, we'll review the documents, and I'm fairly convinced on this one that we will be able to assist. One other thing to be said there, I note that this goes back to 2020 and that the insurance company paid for three months. We're in 2022 now. So there's something which is called a limitation period within which you can pursue a legal claim. It took the insurance company a very long time to deny this claim. So while that was happening, the limitation period was running, with meaning the time frame within which you can pursue a legal claim. And this goes back to 2020, so we should be looking at this right now to make sure that we do not miss what is called a limitation period within which we can pursue a legal claim. And that is extremely important to understand, because if you do not, you may be out of time and you may not be able to pursue a claim at all. Uh, Darren I, no, Darren and I work on cases like this regularly. Uh, we have discussions about pre-existing conditions and illness versus accident injuries, Um coverages as well. So Darren, do you have anything to add? Because I know you've had some experience with this as well.
3: Thanks, Martin. No, no, I don't think, I think your answer covered everything that I would have uh, went, went through on this one. Uh, the only thing I, I will add is just on the limitation period, the, the only kind of silver lining to, to COVID was the courts have extended some limitation periods. Uh, you know, so so even if you had a claim that started in 2020 uh, or even late 2019, it's still worth taking a, a shot at it, it's still worth giving us a call, I think, because there are situations where even if the two years have lapsed, very, very few situations, but there are situations where we still may be able to do something to to assist people. So, um, you know, the, the best thing for people to do, I think, here is just, especially, you know, this individual, is just to call in um, and and try to get that information.
1: Guys, some uh, some great advice there. Anytime, again, reaching out to either Darren or Martin, you could do so one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. And for any other questions that come to mind, there's a free and anonymous website, which is open for you to use, called My. DisabilityQuestions.com. Check that out. Let's get on to this, guys. Three common misconceptions about LTD. I'll throw this one uh, your direction first, Martin. Um, I likely don't qualify for LTD benefits as I'm still able to work on a limited basis with accommodation. What do you say about that?
2: You know, that is something that we see regularly. And quite often I would say to people, don't work yourself out of a claim. Uh It always goes back to the language of the policy, which is a contract, as I have said before. Um, Total disability, meaning what is total disability in terms of the policy, it regularly would define your entitlement to LTD benefits on the basis that you have a condition that prevents you from performing the essential duties of your own occupation. And it it is so fact-specific, so if you are able to maybe work three hours a day with accommodation, sometimes four hours a day, It really depends on how much you are able to do and how that is affecting you. So first thing I would say is be in contact with your doctor and follow your doctor's advice. Work as a team with your doctor so that you do not overexert yourself. If you're able to carry on working, by all means do what is reasonably possible. But quite often, most policies will provide something which is called a rehabilitation program or some of them even may provide for what is called part-time disability benefits. If you are able to work to a certain extent, the insurance company may work with you to see if that capacity can increase, and if it cannot, you are still entitled to LTD benefits. So, what we're trying to get across here is not that if you are able to work, you're not entitled to LTD benefits. It is something that you should discuss with your doctor, and you can discuss with us as well as to what does this policy mean? What does this policy provide? Am I entitled to benefits, even though I have limited capacity? Right. And quite often, the question is yes. You can still get LTD benefits, even if you are able to work on a part-time basis. The question will be, how, how capable are you of working, and how many hours are you able to work? Because it does come a threshold. there is a threshold that if you can work to a certain extent, likely you won't qualify. But... The reverse is also true. If you can only work to a limited extent, you likely still qualify for LTT benefits. It may be a more difficult claim. It may be something that the insurance company may deny more, more often. But that's where we come in because we review these cases and we review the facts, the policies, and the denial letters with you.
1: Darren, let me let me ask you this we got to break in a couple of minutes but I'll ask you this uh, just on the tail end of Martin's answer there if, if you qualify for some sort of benefits even though you have some kind of a part-time job will that put you under the microscope more often with the insurance company than somebody who was incapable of working at all the fact that you're doing a little bit they're gonna keep they're gonna to try to keep tabs on you right I, I
3: I think naturally John that's what they're going to try to do and in any event typically will uh, you know if you have people unmonitored and, and some cases but once you demonstrate some capacity for work um it will likely put you under the microscope to to some degree as to opposed to someone who's just simply off work and unable to work at the end of the day you know you talk with your doctors like martin said you work out a plan with them and, and you, you you can do what you can do um you know always reach out for, for advice as well um you know because we can help you know guide you through the process look at your policies and let you know what your risks may be and uh you know talk to your doctor about that as well
1: we are talking about the three common misconceptions about LTD. We'll get to number two and number one after a short break. In the meantime, you can write this down keep the information with you anytime you want to reach out to either Darren Saul or Martin Willems here at the firm. Same for to mark. And by the way, the, uh, the most Googled and positively reviewed law firm in the country. How about that? The phone number one 821 5900 The email address we use and we're going back to after the break is help at disability rights. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show.
0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
1: All right, welcome back, disability law show. Good to have you along for the hour. Anytime you feel like reaching out, uh, you can do it uh, for your own benefit. Maybe something you're dealing with with an insurance company it could be a flat out uh, refusal, it could be a denial, they could have kicked you off benefit, and you want to know what to do. Hands up in the air, no problem. Make that phone call to either Martin or Darren or their respective teams—they will help you out for sure. Starts with a, uh, you know, no obligation, free phone call. Just have a chat. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address you want to use. Again, help at disabilityrights.ca. We were uh, talking, guys. The the top three misconceptions, common misconceptions about LTD claims. We got two more to go. I'll throw this one towards you, Darren. Another one is this. You know, once the insurer has denied my claim, I probably don't don't have a good chance of succeeding with my claim as the insurer has all the power. How about that?
3: So thanks, um that's a great one and, and to be honest, that's the one I hear from, from potential clients and clients the most often is, is once they've applied the insurer says no you don't have coverage for X, Y, or Z reasons. They figure, well that that's it. they they you know they have the contract. They're, um, you know, they're executing their duties in, in you know, as they're supposed to, um, and I don't have a I have a chance, and, and that is most definitely uh, untrue most of the time. Um, you know, all of our claims have been denied by by their nature. When they come to us, they have all been denied, uh, and and we have success with with almost all of them, uh, or with all the ones we take on. Um, you know, the fact that the insurer has denied their their claim. Just going back to even Martin's. Uh, example from earlier today, where there's a sickness, and uh, you know uh, someone was denied because of sickness coverage, mm-hmm. they, which they didn't have, and they only had injury coverage. Uh, you know, it's it's a fine line. It's a fine line between that. There's interpretations that come into play. Um, you know, the insurer, you know, their their goal is to keep you know money and then to keep you on claim for the the least amount of time as possible, uh, and get to get you back to work. Um, and, you know, you have a, an obligation to to go to your doctor and to work with your doctor to try to get back to work. But, you know, sometimes that's just not possible. And that's what your coverage is there for. So a lot of the times when you are denied, um, you do have a good chance of succeeding with your claim. You know, come and talk to us. We look at the policy wording, which is always what we go back to. We look at your doctor's recommendations, your doctor's treatments. Uh, you know, speak with your doctor about whether or not you are actually able to work. And if your doctor says you're not, then you're not. And if you're denied because the insurer thinks you can go back to work, really it goes back to the medical uh, the medical evidence and what your doctor is saying, what your medical or treatment team is saying to you. If they're saying you can't go back, uh, then you should not be going back. Maybe what do you think, more? Martin? You yeah. know,
2: that was great, Darren. I agree with everything that Darren said. I, I do want to add this, that, you know, with respect to an insurance, this perception that the insurance company has all the power, quite often if that goes the same, that um, people sometimes – scared or threatened to speak to lawyers you know we we speak to people on a daily basis people whose claims have been denied people who feel that their claims may be denied or people just have general questions about their disability claims and where things may go and we offer free consultation so don't be intimidated by the insurer and also don't be intimidated by the thought that you are maybe going to be speaking to a lawyer and that is going to go Remember, we deal with this on a regular basis. We are familiar with the wording of the policies. We are familiar with the ways that insurance companies deny cases and the way that they approach cases. And sometimes when there is a denial, there's an expectation that the person is simply just going to not do anything about it and let it go. And my message to everyone out there is please don't let that happen. If there is a denial or if you feel that there is a threat in denial, Call us, because we will review it all with you. We will look at the documents, the medical evidence, the denial letter, and we will be having a frank discussion with you to tell you what your options are. And if there really is no claim, which very seldom happens, then we will tell you that too. But at least then you know, you've explored your options, and you can make an informed decision, which is really important. Having information information empowers you. To proceed, And that takes some of the stress away already. Quite often when I speak to people, they would say to me at the end of the discussion, even if we cannot assist, thank you so much because I was wondering, at least I know I feel so much right. better. So pick up the phone, call us. We will be able to have that discussion with you.
1: Yeah, and that number that uh, Martin mentioned a couple times, one is the way to, uh, to do that. Three common misconceptions about LTD. Number one is this or number three, depending on how you look at it. Uh, And this one's very common as well, guys, says, I can only get uh, disability benefits for two years, two years, as the insurer says, I can work in another occupation. What about that?
2: It's another one that we see so regularly, as you've mentioned, John. And, you know, sometimes it's the way that the denial letter is written or even that the approval letter is written. It says, um, in order to qualify for benefits for the first two years, you have to prove that you are unable to perform the duties of your own occupation. And people quite often take from that, and I don't blame them for this because they don't work with this on a regular basis. Yeah. They take from that that their policy is limited to two years. And once those the two years have expired, then they don't get benefits anymore, which is not true. Some policies, to be clear, some policies do provide that, but they are in the extreme minorities. minority. The, the general group policy, provides that for the first two years, sometimes one year, sometimes three years, but for most part two years, you have to prove that you are unable to perform the duties of your own occupation, the essential duties of your own occupation. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that two years, there's something which is called a change of definition. It doesn't mean that benefits end. It means that you as the person making the claim must now prove that you are unable to perform the essential duties of another occupation. And that's another misconception that we often see, that people would say, well, maybe I can go work at something else. I don't know, but speak to your doctor. And it isn't simply another occupation. It is another occupation for which you have the transferable skills. In other words, something which is based on your education, your training, and your experience, and for which you are medically qualified to do. So we invariably see so many denials at this phase where they've paid the two years, then it gets to the any occupation phase and people think, well, it's literally any job out there. That's not true. This is a contract. We look at the wording of the contract and the wording of the contract provides that you have to be able to perform the duties of another commensurate occupation for which you've got the transferable skills. And this is where medical evidence also comes into play. We need to have the doctor's look at the medical evidence based on their informed opinions and then provide an opinion as to whether the person is uh, able to go work in another occupation for which they are qualified. So once that claim is denied, again, reach out to us because we will review the policy with you and we can see whether that is a valid denial and almost always it isn't. Darren, I know you've dealt with this as well, and we, we can use so many different examples. But maybe you want to jump in and give some input as well.
3: Thanks, Martin. Yeah, th- there, this is probably one of the most common ones we see. And, and, and just to kind of uh, highlight one of the points you made is, is a lot of the times when people get these letters, I've had people who were denied, you know, months ago, who come back and say, "Well, you know, I, I heard the show, or I talked to someone, and, and just getting an opinion on this because the way my approval letter was written, or the way my denial letter was written." Makes me think that you know this is an open and closed case. This is a, a very simple matter that I'm only covered for my occupation, and that is it. That's all my coverage is for, and and that's something I think the, you know, that, that that's done intentionally to have people not look into what the the rest of their rights really cover, which is disability rights. LTD coverage typically goes beyond the two years. Uh, the definition of that changes as, as you as you outlined. Um, But I think people need to understand and, and, you know, know that they do have coverage that extends beyond that period uh, and that it never hurts for them to call in, uh, to have their policy reviewed, to have their denial letter reviewed, um, talk to their doctor. And and in any event, you you previously discussed as well, you know, whether you can do some work is very different from whether you can work to the same level as you were working before. Uh, Many of these policies will have a cutoff in place where if you work over that certain amount, uh, you know, 55, 65% of your old income, you know, you no longer qualify. But if you, you know, can do some work, but you can only work part-time now, you're making 20% of what you made before or 40% of what you made before, your coverage will still extend forward. Um, And, you know, the mere fact that you can do some kind of work is not the end of the analysis. Uh, And a lot of times I think insurance companies uh, frame their letters in the way that that seems to be the case. Um, but, but it's not. So just to have people, you know, reach out. It's a simple phone call where we're very easy to talk to. Um, and, you know, just just to have a quick chat with us. And at least, you know, if we can't help you, at least you'll know you did everything you could. And you can continue on you know, with that knowledge, at least safe, safe with that knowledge.
1: You know, it's it's interesting, Martin, that both of you guys, you and Darren both mentioned commensurate income. I guess it's a concept of, you know, 60 to 65, possibly 70% of your pre-injury income. I guess that's not only the qualification, but that's generally what you would get if you're on your LTD and getting the benefits. So you've got to match that number, or at least they have to match that number,
2: right? That's a great question, John. You know, again, because it is a contract, you want to look at what the definition is under the any occupation phase. And in some policies, they may say you must have a condition or an illness that prevents you from performing the essential duties of any other occupation based on your education training experience that pays you 75% of your pre-disability income. If it says that, then you've got a good policy. Sometimes it may be 50%, sometimes it may be 60%. If it doesn't mention the percentage then invariably default back to what is called the common law position, which would be something in the range of 60 to 65%, sometimes 67%. And that would be, as you say, quite often the same as the benefit amount. But you're the one who has to prove that you are unable to perform the duties of any occupation that falls within that threshold. And there's also something which is called indexed earnings. So if you've been on claim for a period of time, we also look at what the indexed earnings would be. In other words, how has inflation affected that? And increases. But it is, again, it, it is something that we see every single day, because this is the, the juncture mm-hmm. where most disability claims are denied. And mm-hmm. please phone us because <laughs> the doctors always try to assist. And if there is anything to be done, we will assist.
1: That number to reach out, as Martin's mentioned a couple times, one 855 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca, the email address, which is where we're going to go right now. Guys, first email of the day. Uh, writer uh, writes in and says my boyfriend is on LTD with an undiagnosed illness. Currently trying to get in to see a gastroenterologist in Edmonton for help. The insurance company deals with have been a bit of nightmare, pressuring him to go back to work. He's a fuel truck driver, putting words in our doctor's mouth or things he didn't say, twisting words around to benefit themselves. His uh, condition is aggravated greatly by stress, so bad that our family doctor had to get involved and tell them to back off and leave his patient alone. Now they're threatening to cut him off his LTD when his illness has yet been dealt with, nor have we found out what's going on. He's super stressed. Uh, Being sick has taken its toll, and now the stress of possibly thinking of going on welfare in a month's time is not great for either one of us looking for help or some
2: advice. Wow. Well, that is a very tough situation. Um, I'm sorry you both are going through that. So... What I see there is, the first thing is an undiagnosed illness. So the policies do provide that you have to submit a claim based on a condition, an injury or an illness, in order to qualify for benefits. The fact that the illness has not yet been diagnosed is not determinative of whether this gentleman is entitled to benefits. A disability claim is based on an impairment of function. The diagnosis is important, yes, but it is the functional impairment that is much more important. In other words, what are the functional restrictions and limitations that prevent the person from being able to perform the duties of their own occupation? So, in this case, uh, the, the boyfriend is a fuel truck driver, and he's clearly having issues with his his bath movements. I would assume as he has to see a gastroenterologist, so obviously he's having difficulty and the insurance company has been difficult to deal with, which is not Mm -hmm. surprising. So, he has to get into, if he hasn't seen the specialist yet, get his doctor involved, get the doctor, and that has already happened with respect to the stress that the insurance company is uh, um, giving him because of this uh, claim. But I would suggest the doctor gets involved, prepares a letter detailing the restrictions and limitations, and ultimately, if they do cut him off, which it seems that this is where this may be heading, then there definitely is a claim that we think we could pursue on his behalf. And, you know, if they're creating so much stress, it may also lead to a claim for damages in the future.
1: Guys, short break, and I'm going to get the next email. I'll throw it towards, uh, towards you, Darren. In the meantime, the number to reach either of these gentlemen and their team is simple, one 855 5900 Email help at c come back after a short break this is the disability law show
0: this is a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser the opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw
1: all right we're back disability law show good to have you hanging around with us for the hour you can always reach out and ask questions uh you can do a couple different things you can make that phone call to either Darren or Martin anytime, one 821 5900 email help at disabilityrights.ca. Let's move on to our next email. Darren, I'll give you this one. It says, I'm on LTD and CPPB disability, and I was wondering if my mother puts me on title on her condo, will this affect my benefits? I did not own property before going on LTD.
3: It's interesting. That is interesting. Thanks, John. That, that, that is a very specific and very interesting question. Uh, generally, no. With, with putting a title of a condo or an asset in someone else's name, it won't affect the LTD benefits moving forward. Uh, the, the caveat with this is you always have to go back to the policy. There, you know, there may be a, a clause in a policy which says you can't own assets over X value or, or whatnot. I, I've never seen something like that, but it's conceivable something like that could exist. Um, I've never come across on it, you know, Martin may, may have, he can maybe speak to that, that after as well, but I've never come across that. The one thing with this is if you're entitled to a condo and you're receiving something like rental income from the condo, that may have an impact on the LTD benefits because that is income um, that would fall under the, the terms of the policy that, that would be determined as to whether it's you know, deducted or, or whether you even may qualify. So. The quick answer to this is no. If you're simply put on title to an asset that won't impact your LTD benefits moving forward, if you're receiving a rental income or some kind of income through that property, uh, that would likely have some impact on your benefits. Uh, The extent of that, again, we'll look at the policy, Um, you know, give us a call. Happy to go through that with people, uh, especially when you come across uh, interesting situations like this. Um, Yeah. Martin, what do you
1: think, Bill? Uh,
2: Thanks for that. You know, When a person is receiving long-term disability benefits and they qualify for CPP as well, CPP has its own criteria, which would be something like you have to have an illness that is severe and prolonged to the extent that it prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation. Again, it's based on your function. So being put, if you have a condo put on, you're being put on the title of a condo, that has nothing to do with your ability to work, right? And it's also not... If you were to receive income from that, and it's rental income, uh, disability policies generally provide that income that you receive through employment would be deductible or other benefits that you receive as a result of your disability. For example, CPP or WorkSafe BC benefits or even a severance, right? It's all related to income. I do not believe that that would affect the claim. If you are doing it on the basis that you are running a business and you have various condos which you are managing and getting rental income from that, and you you are doing bookkeeping, you are going out there to do property maintenance, that is something entirely different, but it goes to employment income. So I don't believe that this will have any effect, but it depends on the factual circumstances of it. And again, every every case has to be analyzed on its facts and the language of the policy. How about, uh, guys, how about things like, uh,
1: you know, stock portfolios or, you know, mutual funds, all that stuff? Would that count or is that, again, separate from your uh, your earnings under the LTD?
2: It depends on the language of the policy. I don't right. see that as employment income. Having said that, it depends on the extent on, as to what you're doing. I'll use another example. I, I, I know there was an instance where the person was had dogs and had a litter and sold the dogs, the puppies. <laughs> Come on. Um, and got some, you know, some money from it, but then. There have been another instance, because that's where you're getting some income, right? But it's not employment income. But if you are a breeder, uh, you may have worked as something else, but in a sideline, you've got six dogs, six cats, and you're a breeder, and you are maintaining these animals, you're putting a lot of work into it, and you're running it as a business and declaring the income that you're making from that business – on your tax returns that becomes different right it it is ultimately is it employment income and again is it does that function that you're displaying does that indicate that you may be able to work in a different context so it's a very very fact specific analysis but ultimately if it's a one-off like for example in this case you're just getting some rent I don't think that's going to impact things. But if it is on a bigger scale where it becomes an employment issue, like stock portfolios, you're making some money because you invested some money in the stocks and you're getting some income from but you're not literally managing it every single day. You're not doing it for other people. I don't see that as employment income necessarily. Now, that's not legal advice because you would have to see what the policy says, but that would generally be my opinion and my position if that were to be put in front of me.
1: Let's move on to another email. With, uh, we got a few minutes before we break, guys. At least I'll, I'll get to the read of it anyway. It says, guys, I have depression over the past two years. My psychiatrist has tried me on various medications, including Effexor, Welbutrin, uh, Serat, uh, Sarah Trellin, uh, and a, a bunch of others. How about that? Uh, none of these medications have worked. In fact, I had significant side effects, and one made me feel suicidal. I'm attending counseling with a psychologist, and I'm also doing group counseling. I'm concerned that the insurer will terminate my benefits as I am no longer taking medications because of how badly they make me feel. I'm focused on trying to get better. The case manager keeps asking me what medications I am on, and I worry that they will say I'm not being properly treated.
2: Oh, again, you know, it's something that we see every now and again. Well, wow. The disability policy is a contract. The contract provides provisions. And one of them would be that you have to be appropriately treated for the condition for which you are claiming benefits. So, standing on the side of it, looking in, one would expect from the insurance perspective that if you have a psychiatric illness, and you are seeing a psychologist and you are seeing a psychiatrist that if it is, and I've seen this, the basis for the denial before, if you are not taking medications to treat your psychiatric condition, then you're not being properly treated. But it's not black or white. It is being in touch with your doctor, following the psychiatrist advice. Clearly this person, and this does happen with some people, clearly this person has some significant side effects to these medications, one of them made him feel suicidal, uh, that obviously is not assisting the situation. It's not treating the person to the extent that they may be able to get better. So in this case, again, follow your doctor's advice. I would put all my weight on the psychiatrist opinion, more so than insurance company who doesn't have any benefit of having seen, spoken, or even met the person, or that they haven't even had their psychiatrist way in. So if... If there's a denial, there's something to be done about this because this claim may be denied on the basis that you are breaching the terms of the policy by not performing or pursuing proper treatment and we can deal with this, those, those denounces as well. Darren, what are your thoughts?
1: Darren, I'll get your opinion. I just got to take a short break. I definitely want to hear what you say sure. about it, so I'm getting I'm getting the hand signed. So we'll, uh, we'll take a short break, It back to that email, see if we can squeeze in a couple more with the uh, remaining minutes. Anytime uh, you want to send an email along, it might appear on a future show, do so, don't hesitate. And just to get help, period, doesn't have to be on the radio, but help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we go to. And the phone number, one we will continue. Continue. This is the Disability Law Show.
0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
1: All right, we're back. A few minutes to go. Disability Law Show. Darren Saul is here and of course Martin Williams is joining us. Both these gentlemen covering the uh, the West Coast, B.C. and Vancouver and uh, Alberta as well. You want to reach out to them. They'll, uh, they'll hook you up with another member of the team right across the country 1-855-821-5900 help at disabilityrights.ca uh just before the break uh darren we were talking about you know someone having depression being on various medications had to stop because they're getting bad side effects from it i assuming under their doctor's advice but they're worried right that they're not doing the proper thing to maintain their uh their ltd so what's uh, what's your opinion on that fear
3: thanks john and, and, and i'll kind of echo his- I echo Martin's comments on that is, is, you know, with the case managers, here are pressuring them, really focusing on the medications. It seems what they're trying to do is to set up a denial, to uh, set up a denial of this person's claim. What that person needs to understand is that under their policy, they, there typically will be a term that requires them to engage in, in appropriate treatment. What appropriate treatment is determined by is your, is your medical professional. So in this case, the psychologist and, and the family doctor, um, you know, are the ones that that individual should be uh, leaning on. And here, he, you know, that person's had um, terrible, terrible side effects, you know, including, you know, feelings of uh, being suicidal. Um, you know, if that's what the medication's doing to you, that's obviously not not improving your situation, that's not helping you, that's not proper treatment. Um, so the doctors pivoted them into new treatment. So, you know, I, I think if, if this is the case... You know, definitely a good thing to reach out and, and have a quick chat about that, but you follow your, your medical professional's advice, especially when the insurer doesn't have a, a contrary opinion saying, no, medication is the only way to go or something like that. Um, you, know, you follow your doctor's advice, and, and uh, that you know, is typically sufficient to keep you under the policy. And if you are denied, you reach out and we'll definitely be able to help.
1: Darren, I'll, I'll keep you on for this email as well. And uh, as follows, uh, guys, I'm currently on LTD with February 2023 being the change of definition date. With my disability insurer, up until recently, they've been great, but the disability insurer has recently been pushing towards a return to employment, same or similar to my current employment, including asking me to ask the treating specialists for information on my condition and treatments. This included an IME, an independent medical examination, and a vocational assessment, which recommends other employment that pays far less than what I was making. Do I need a lawyer just yet?
3: Thanks, Sean. So there's a lot to unpack in this question, and, and it's really the most one of the most typical ones that we see is this change of definition data. And, and so what that is is when you're in a, a long-term disability situation, typically, you know, it depends on the policy always. It can be one, three years. Typically it's after the first for the first two years that you're on long-term disability, you have to be unable to perform essential duties of your own occupation. After that period, whatever's defined in the policy again, typically it's two years. The definition changes from being able to perform the essential duties of your own occupation to the essential duties of any occupation, which we just call the "any occupation" phase. That will last for typically the duration of your policy. Some people at six, most people at sixty-five, um, you know, or it could be a defined period that that's laid out in the the long-term disability contract. Um, you know, and this is the time where most insurers do become, you know, more, you know where they pressure people to try to get them back to work because once you enter this phase, the, the length of time you're on disability, I mean, there's no real end date to that except within the contract. So it's determined by your disability, your functional limitations and, and what that's going to do. Here the insurer seems to have put the, the individual through an, an independent medical exam and a vocational assessment geared towards outlining what those functional limitations are. That's what the independent medical exam would be used for, is to see what their disability is, what their functional limitations are. The vocational assessments used to show after that, you know, we have this information, this is what they can and can't do. This is what they'd be suited for based on their you know, education, training, previous experience and and whatnot. But the interesting thing that that this individual is going through here is that the recommended work is work that employment that pays far less than what they were making before. And he wonders if he needs a lawyer. I I would say, yes, this is a great time to get a lawyer, um, you know, because when they're pushing you into any work, this goes back to the policy. Most policies will have a clause in there that will say, you, you know, you must be able to make X number percentage of your, your pre uh, injury income in order to be off, you know, kicked off disability benefits. So if we're looking at the 65 percent, seventy percent in some cases, um, you know, that's what you have to be making in order for the disability insurer to cut you off for being able to work. Uh, here it seems like that's not the case. That would be making far, far less. I mean I don't know what the percentages are we're looking at here, so that's why it's a good idea to, to contact us um but if they're making far less and then that's not a commensurate income that's not a comparable stock and and, and that would be an a long-term denial um yeah i mean there's probably more martin may want to add
1: to that yeah last couple minutes of yours martin what do you think pal
2: i appreciate that you know darren did a great job responding to that question Uh, as we've said before if the percentage is not detailed in the policy you do default back to what is called the common position. uh but If there has been an IME, that IME was requisitioned by the insurance company and there was a vocational assessment then done by the insurance company. So these are not assessments done uh, at the request of a family physician, for example, from a specialist. So we would want, if we've reviewed this claim, uh, we would want the doctors to weigh in on the findings in that IME and the vocational assessments because quite often we find that those uh, opinions may be a little skewed, um, that all the information may not have been considered. And we invariably hear from clients that I was trying to explain something to the doctor and they cut me off. Uh, So did they have all the information when this assessment was being done? And if not, then ultimately the opinion isn't worth that much. So we would want to see the IME report. We want to see the vocational assessment report. And when we get involved, we may requisition our own independent medical examination reports to rebut what the insurer's IME says and the vocational assessment as well. So when we get involved in cases, to be clear, and this is the message to get out there, we don't simply look at the claim And use the information at hand. We may go out and try and get opinions as well to oppose what is said in the insurance company's experts' opinions. And we may uh, approach the treatment providers as well for reports that assist us. That's what we do when we get involved in these cases. We help you get the proper medical evidence to fight that denial, which quite often people cannot do on their own.
1: Guys, the hour has gone so quickly, but uh, you can reach out now and get a hold of Darren. You can get a hold of Martin anytime if you have concerns. Could be for yourself, a colleague, family member. Don't be bashful. It's no problem to do so. That number as we uh, wrap it up here for another day, one 821 5900 Email help at disabilityrights.ca. Any other questions can be asked at mydisabilityquestions.com. Free and anonymous resource for you there. And we'll catch you next time as we uh, reconvene in another edition of the Disability Law Show.